want to talk to you this morning about uh, something that's built in all of our DNA. And that's the desire to want to learn, to want to know why things happen, why things function. And that's why at an early age, you discover that as a child, you ask that big question that ultimately sometimes parents get tired of answering. And that's why. Mommy, why? Daddy, why? I know when we were doing that growing up, ultimately my father got so frustrated and he would just say, because I said so. And don't let me take off the belt and show you why. And that was sufficient for me to say, I've learned enough. But this question of why, these why questions, uh, when they're asked, it's because we want to learn. We want to understand. That's why also good teachers often ask students questions like, why do you think this is going on? Because it causes you and I to begin to think and to evaluate and to try to come up with some answer. So why questions are not necessarily bad. They are good. They help us and stimulate our thinking because they help us to evaluate. Now, sometimes, if we're honest, why questions make us uncomfortable because they cause us to examine ourselves. It causes us to look at something we probably would rather avoid. For instance, why did you yell at your spouse? See, a question like that causes you to think, and sometimes it will make you feel uncomfortable. One of the things my father, we had, there were six of us growing up, and it wasn't uncommon because there were five boys and one girl, And that, I mean, she messed it all up. We were doing great until she came along. But with boys, boys can be very active. And that, we were in our household, we were very active. And it wasn't unusual for one of us to get disciplined because of something that somebody else did. In other words, the wrong one got disciplined. And there were times where we would say, That, oh, mom, why did you hit me? It wasn't me. It was him. And in those days, parents never apologize. It's like my father was like, well, that's just in case you were thinking of doing wrong. Uh, But why? Why do we do things? Why, Why did you steal that? Why did you lie there? It causes us sometimes to be uncomfortable because it, it forces us to look internally and address something that maybe in the natural we wouldn't really want to address. And as we are continuing our journey through the Gospel of John, today we come to chapter 6, and there's a couple of why questions that came to my heart as I'm uh, evaluating this chapter that I wanted to talk to you about this morning. Two why questions that I think we need to consider. So, John chapter 6, I'm going to read the first six verses because before we actually get to the why questions, I want to lay down a good foundation for us. Verse 1, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. 
Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Soon, uh, 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 verse 5, excuse me, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Okay, let's just pause there, and we'll continue in a moment. But I want to lay a a simple foundation that we're going to build our two why questions off of, and that is this. God knows your need, and he has a plan to meet it. In other words, I want you to see something and and be reminded this morning that God always has a plan. Things don't occur and catch God off guard. Everything you and I deal with in life, God already knows what's going to happen. And notice that Jesus saw all of these people, and he knew it was getting toward the hour where they would be hungry. And so now Jesus asked One of the disciples, what are we going to do about this? But the Bible tells us he already knew what he was going to do, which again reminds us you may have a need here today, and we all have needs. Let's face it. Uh, We have needs of different, uh, that vary in different ways. But it's important that we are reminded this morning that God already knows your need. That's number one. And number two, God already has a plan on how to meet your need. And that was a great place for you to really give out a loud amen. But that's all right. I know you haven't been here in a while and you're not used to that. But it's important that we lay that foundation that God knows your need and has a plan to meet your need. Now, the chapter continues that Jesus miraculously feeds over 5,000 people with a few loaves of fish and some, excuse me, a few loaves of bread and some fish. And then... After Jesus met that need, the Bible tells us that he slipped away by himself. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 16. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon, a gale swept down upon them, and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, Don't be afraid. I am here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. Okay, so now Jesus performs a miracle. He feeds the, uh, over 5,000 people with a few loaves and, and a few fishes. And now, I don't know what happened or what was going on, but somewhere in the commotion, Jesus slips away. The disciples don't know where he is. So they decide, well, we came across in the boat. Let's go back down to the shore and wait for him. The Bible tells us here now, now nightfall came, but Jesus still hadn't returned. And now the disciples decide to get into the boat and to go back on the other side, which 
brings us to our, a couple of questions, but, and, and which, which is going to set us up for our, our first why question. I started thinking about this as a, why didn't they wait for Jesus? I mean, what was so pressing on the other side that they left Jesus behind and decided to go on to the lake at nighttime? which in and of itself was generally quite perilous because uh, it, this, the sea was known on occasion, especially at night, to, to have storms. So what was so pressing that they chose to leave the Lord behind and risk sailing at night? So here's our first why question. Why do we find it so difficult to wait for the Lord? Why do we find it so difficult to wait for the Lord? A couple of verses, just a couple sample verses. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. In the 37th Psalm, the seventh verse says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Now, this is just two verses that just a small sample of the many verses we find in the Bible that exhort us to wait for God to act, to wait patiently for God to act. Yet, if we are honest with ourselves, that's a struggle for us. We are a microwave generation. We want everything instantly. So when we pray and ask God for a miracle, when we talk to God about the needs that we have, and let's remind ourselves of the foundation that we laid. The foundation was God already knows your need. And God already has a plan to meet that need. Yet, when we bring that need before God, if we're all honest here this morning, and those of you watching online, if we're all honest with us, our expectation is for God to move immediately. And so what winds up happening is we all have this fault in our DNA, if you will, whereby we, we lack patience. Now, my wife was too much amening on that because she knows she was talking, she knows she was thinking about me when she said that amen. I struggle with patience. I know you guys are saints, and I bless the Lord for that. I, you demonstrated that because you have been so patient with me. Uh, we are now, my wife and I have been here uh, this month, 17 years, and, and you've been so patient with us, so patient. But I'm not that, I'm not that holy. And it, it, this lack of patience really shows up in certain spots. Don't send me to the supermarket. That is, I mean, every once in a while, I, I bear a little, little bit of fruit of patience. But in the supermarket, it just comes and they pluck that thing right away especially when it's time to go online. Or 
truth now. Come on, we're being, I'm being humble here this morning and being transparent with you. I can't go shopping with my wife. I don't have patience for her. Because you see, we've been married 42 years this month. Oh, nobody clapped for that, honey. This is bad news. Bad news. See, for 42 years, we've been buying certain products when we go to the supermarket, right? For instance, we buy Goya beans. Come on, I don't know a Puerto Rican that doesn't buy Goya beans. So if we, go, if we need beans and we go to the supermarket, my wife will go down that aisle and she'll look at every other bean besides the Goya bean, even though she knows she's going to end up with the Goya bean. And I'm like, why are you wasting time doing that? Let's get what we always get and let's move along. I'm just being transparent with you. It's even worse when it comes to God. Even though we know that God has a plan to meet every need that we have, we often find it difficult to wait for God. We're just like the disciples. They're waiting for the Lord. He hasn't shown up. And you would think they're saying, I ain't moving nowhere. I mean, I don't know where he is, but he left us here. I'm staying here until he comes back. Unless I know that he, if I know for sure he's somewhere else, then I'll go. But until I know, I'm not moving from this spot. But they decided we're going to go on without Jesus. How many times have you and I decided to do something without Jesus? We pray, God, should we buy that house? Well, he hasn't answered. Well, I'm going to buy the house then. We decide to go on without him. We decide to move from job to job without him. We decide to end relationships without him. We decide to switch churches without him. You know, we decide to do so many things Without the Lord, we leave him behind. Why? Well, because he didn't answer me fast enough. I got to make this decision. Whenever you have to make a decision now, I can tell you 99.9% .9 of the time, it's not God. God is never in a rush. This whole thing about, oh, we got to make a decision now, or we're going to miss out on it. Better you miss out on it than get ahead of God. Because let's learn from the disciples. They decided to go on ahead without Jesus, and the Bible tells them, what did they hit? They hit a storm. Some of the storms that we encounter are simply because we decided to go on ahead without Jesus. And if we had just waited, we could have eliminated the storm. Now, this storm was, uh, was interesting because they made some progress, but then all of a sudden they stopped. You see, sometimes uh, we, we are good enough and experienced enough that we can navigate through some storms. But ultimately, when we get ahead of God, when we decide not to wait for the Lord and to go on, sooner or later it will impede our progress and we'll come to a standstill. And it wasn't until Jesus showed up and they took him back into the boat that they got to their destination. That's a wonderful reminder to you and I that no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what our needs are, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, let's wait for God. 
remember that our foundation. Jesus knows your need, and he already has a plan to meet that need. And that's why I, my prayer is, is this prayer from, of Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. May God grant us the grace so that that would be our testimony. That we would wait for the Lord. And we would not get ahead of God. We live in a time where because of this pandemic, I know people are going stir crazy. If you could tell, I put on a, a, little, a, a few pounds. And that's because I've been at home a lot. And I'm, I'm going from my office at home to the refrigerator, back to the office, back to the refrigerator, to the television, to the refrigerator, to the bedroom, back to the refrigerator. And I know we go, we're going stir crazy, wondering when are things going to get back to normal? The biggest danger that we face is to not wait for God. God has a plan. God was going to meet our needs. We have to learn to, part of prayer is that ability to say, I'm bringing it before God. The last thing I want to do is take it back and then go do my own thing. I want to wait for God. I put it in God's hands. Now I'm going to wait for God. Amen? Okay. Now let's move on. John uh, chapter 6. I'm going to pick up now in verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat. Which, by the way, it's interesting. They took the boat and they didn't leave anything for Jesus to get to the other side. But moving on. And they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. All right. So if we just read, people realize, hey, Jesus is gone. We got up. Where's Jesus? He's gone. The disciples are gone. The boat's gone. They said, well, they must have gone back to the other side. So they got in their boat. They went to the other side, and they were searching for the Lord. When they found him, and they were, all of a sudden, they were all happy. Hey, we found Jesus. But notice, Jesus now reveals the motive by which they were, why they were seeking him. He said, you guys were seeking me because I fed you. You're looking for another meal. And he's telling them, at this juncture, you need to be seeking a different blessing. You need to be seek, uh, looking uh, for, for me because of the fact that I can give you eternal life. In other words, what the Lord was stressing here is the motive for seeking him should never be physical blessing, but spiritual blessing. The stress 
on, on our motive should be we seek God, we follow God, not because of the physical blessings he can give us, but because of the spiritual life he can give us. So that brings us to our second why question, and that is, why do we follow Jesus? Why do we follow Jesus? For many years, not so much now, but more, for many years in the past, there was a popular teaching about name it and claim it, if you will. That if you have faith, you can receive anything that you want. And it had its foundation in not receiving God for who he is, but receiving things from God. That you can prosper if you believe. All can be yours if you believe. And this question poses and causes us to think and evaluate What's the motive by which we call ourselves Christians? Why are you here? Why do you follow Jesus? Because let me put it to you a different way. If God never, ever promised in his word to meet your need, if God told you straight up, I am here to take away your sins so that you can get to heaven when you die, and that's it. How you live your life, how you make it out through this physical life, that's on you. In other words, if the only benefit we had for following Jesus is eternal life in heaven one day, the question we would have to answer is, would we still follow Jesus? There are many people that started out following Jesus but see, the motive was wrong. Jesus said, you are following me because I fed you. In other words, I provided something physically for you that you like. That's why you're here. He said, you're, you're spending your energy on trying to get things, and you're leaving out the most important thing, which is me. What if God never blesses you? Would you still find yourself in the house of the Lord? Would you still call yourself a Christian? Would you still say that he is good all the time? See, we love to say that expression, but what we really mean behind that, man, he takes care of me. But what if God didn't take care of you? You see, you can get over on me, but you can't get over on God. Jesus saw right into their heart. He said, I know the motive why you're here. And it's a bad one. It's not the right one. You're spending all your energy on attaining things that perish. And you're missing out. And you're not focusing on what's important. And that's me. See, brothers and sisters, the truth of the matter is, too many people start out on this spiritual journey, and they're eager, they're happy, and they're all blessings that God imparts, but the moment they sense that God is no longer blessing them, they're out the door. I'm done. God didn't take care of me. God didn't answer my prayer. I'm done. In other words, he's not worthy 
for me to follow any longer because there was something I wanted and God didn't give it to me. I, I, I wanted God to, to heal my loved one and he didn't do it. He's not worthy of me. I wanted God to provide that job. He didn't provide that job. I wanted God to give me that woman. I mean, she was the woman of my dreams. I mean, I, I, and she married somebody else. The thing that I asked from God, he didn't come through on. Therefore, he's not worthy. You see, in the end, God knows the motives of our heart. And the Lord knows exactly what to say to bring it to the surface. What did he tell the people? If you go on reading the chapter, here's what Jesus said. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be part of me. Now, they had thought, eaten the food that he had provided. So they're thinking physical. He's thinking spiritual. But he's letting them know, unless you take me in, unless your focus is and your heart's desire is, I want to eat Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. Unless I'm not that, then you can't be a part of me. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 66, I think we have that. Uh, do we have verse 66 up there, Kirby? Put it up there. Look, at, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. See, Jesus is never impressed with a crowd. We get impressed with that. We look for that. Oh, oh, that's a great church. Why? Don't you see? Every seat is full. It's happening. Everybody wants to go there. Not everybody that might go there has a desire for Jesus. He's never impressed with the crowd. In fact, when the crowd gets too big, I got to thin this crowd out. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Oh, this is too hard. I, I, I can't do that. And you know what? The Lord never went after them. He's okay with people deciding that he's not worthy because he'd rather have five around him that believe he is worthy and to worship him than have 500 who not because he's not impressed with numbers. What the Lord is after is for us to understand that this Christian journey is about a relationship with him. And if we miss out on that, we really are not on the, on the right journey. We may call ourselves Christians. We may believe we're all Christians. But listen, let's remind ourselves this morning. It's so crucial that we remember that it's all about having a relationship with Jesus. Jesus did not surrender his life on the cross. His blood was not spilled so that he can provide you and I with things. Jesus didn't have to die for God to bless us materially. He died so that our sins could be forgiven, so that the pathway could be open so that you and I could have a relationship with him. That's what it's all about. And remember, he's already knows our need, and he has a plan to meet that need. And how many know our greatest need is Jesus? That's our greatest need. Your greatest need, my greatest need, isn't a new car. It isn't new clothes. Uh, listen, we all are blessed in this country. We are super, super blessed. We have more than what we need. 
Our greatest need is Jesus. Our greatest need in this hour of pandemic is Jesus. Our greatest need in this hour of social unrest is Jesus. He is and always will be our greatest need. And he's prepared to meet that need. He's ready to become so intimate with you and I. And his heart is, I just want to see your desire. I want to know that your motive for following me is not for what you can get from me, but because you want to know me. Worship team, if you would come back up, please. We're talking this more, this morning about these why questions. But it's important we lay that foundation that God knows our need already. And he has a plan to meet it. But why do we struggle? Why do we find it so difficult to wait for the Lord? Maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching us online. And you find yourself in a situation where you have cried out to God. You need God to move in a specific way. My encouragement to you, which we're going to end in prayer here in a moment, we're going to ask God for the grace we need to wait. Because we don't want to go on without him. We don't want to get ahead of him. Because that will only amplify our problems. And then as we sing this song that Pastor Jason and the worship team are going to lead us in, ask yourself, this is not for your neighbor, this is for you personally. Why do I follow Jesus? Is it because of what he can give me or is it because of who he is and my relationship with him?